Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Cup of Nurses podcast, episode number 112. We're doing this one on a Zoom call. Make sure everybody checks out cupofnurses.com. It's our website. If you guys like the show, write us on YouTube, write us on Spotify, write us on Google. We keep a very thorough show notes. We have a bunch of links to all our episodes on cupofnurses.com. And also, don't forget, we have frontlinewarriorsclub.com up and running. Slowly building it out. You know, check on it weekly, week by week. There's more stuff coming in. I would say roughly every week. We have some cool merch, cool pages. Talk about some cool topics, some wellness, some health, some mindfulness, some consciousness, and all those great things. But today we have another great episode for you guys. Matt, what's up? What's up? Thank you for that great announcement. So yeah, we're expanding consciousness. Make sure you keep up with Frontline Warriors. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about the pros and cons of working at a teaching hospital. Some people may enjoy working with residents and every few months you'll have a different cycle of residents. At times, it may be frustrating. You have to be more vigilant about checking labs and being on top of your orders. But nevertheless, it's a great experience, right? Yeah. So we can have the pros first. Remember when you were in Chicago, Matt, before you started travel nursing, uh, your hospital, was it a teaching hospital? It was a community hospital, but actually had a residence program. Yes. So I have experience with residents my whole entire life as a Mm -hmm. nurse. Nice. Yeah. Because where I worked in in Chicago, we did have residents and stuff too. It was a teaching hospital, but unfortunately the floor that I worked at, uh, it was a, you could say a closed unit where only cardiology worked there. And we don't really have, we didn't really have too much of like a residency program in that sense, but other units, they had their residents and, and they did their their thing that way. But we, we were kind of, uh, a little bit uh, different. I can see why that happened in your case, because cardiovascular procedures are usually very, it's very invasive and cardiologists like to do things their own way. So I had, I had a case in my previous hospital where there was a bad extubation happened late night. So we had to reintubate. It was a difficult intubation. The residents couldn't intubate. There was no one else in the hospital because it was a small hospital. So the cardiologist had to come in. And ever since then, he was so pissed where the only the intensivist could intubate his patients and they only could extubate in the morning, not late later in the day where someone has to be there just in case there has to be a reintubation. Interesting. So none of the residents were able to successfully intubate this patient. Th- that case. And then moving forward, he got so mm-hmm. upset where no residents are going to intubate his case. And the yeah, CV surgeons could do that because they bring a hospital a lot of money so they can swing around and have that God syndrome, you would say. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting because if a, a hospital has like a heart unit or, or has a lot of like heart surgeries, cardiac surgeries, that's what brings in the most money out of all units. I know at the, at the prior hospital that I used to work in Chicago, cardiology brought in like almost all the money. The giant, the big majority of the income that the hospital received was straight from cardiology. So that, may, that makes sense. Like you said, the cardiologist runs the show. If he's not satisfied, they're going to basically tailor nursing, tailor residencies, tailor other physicians to the cardiologist needs, because if he's the one bringing the money, then that's where it's going to go. And as nurses, we're the biggest, we're the biggest a consumer of financials in a hospital. I'm not sure if you know that, but nursing, I believe accounts for, for the biggest financial burden you can say for hospitals. It costs a lot of money to keep us there. That's why these ratios keep being, keep being um, like brought up, but never actually fully addressed because the physicians and cardiology brings in the money and nurses were the ones that, that, that take some of that money. So that's why there's always this push for ratios. And no one ever wants to make these banded ratios because it's going to cost hospital more. And they're already given so much money towards nursing care, which I believe is, is incorrect, which I believe is, is like a bullshit excuse 
because, you know, I feel like ratios would give better outcomes and all people bring the hospital more money. That's almost like saying, like, if you're at war, correct? Like, let's just bring it back to the medieval times. Wouldn't you want to feed your soldiers before war? If they're not going to be fed, how are they supposed to go out and battle and actually uh, kill the troops or fight against them? So in this mm -hmm. perspective, you should be taking care of the nurse because they, they're the ones that are bringing you money as well. And they're taking care of these patients mm -hmm. when you brought up the, the ratios. Yeah. But going back to like the American Heart Associ uh, Hospital Association and talking about teaching hospitals. So there's over a thousand teaching hospitals across the United States and it employs 2.7 million people. And it's like the bread and butter because it's teaching the next generation of physicians. So even though there might be, I feel like in this episode, there's going to be more cons and pros because we're taking it from a nursing perspective, but it's very important because they're going to be the next generation. We have to be patient with them. We have to teach them how to do things properly and, and also like transition them from like the book to the knowledge of working at a unit. What are the procedures and policies and all that? Hmm. Yeah. So going on the, on the pro is probably the, the first pro and probably the biggest one is having physician or resident coverage for 24 hours, especially in a hospital. So there's always somebody there. It might not be the most knowledgeable physician. It might not be the best intensivist, might not be the best cardiologist, but you're going to have residents under them. So residents are, are basically doctors in, in training. You could say they're, they're trained on the thing they're supposed to do, but they're not fully there yet where they could do this independently. They, they work under like a, either a senior resident or under a physician or an intensivist or whoever, you know, is, is above them. And it's good to have them because they're fairly new to the game. So it allows like almost open conversation because you could talk to a little more freely compared to like a physician that has been doing it for a long time where they just go in, get it done and leave, right? Residents take a little bit of time. They usually do things in groups. If you see a residence, resident, they're usually like two of them or three of them discussing a topic, especially during days. Now that we work days, when they do rounds, it's not, I don't usually see one resident and one physician. It's usually like three residents talking about a concept that the, that the intensivist or the physician is trying to bring up and, and kind of check how much knowledge they have. Like I, I know one time we, there was like debating on whether we should extubate a patient and it was an intensivist and like three, three residents and the intensivist was asking them about their ABGs, how they, how their assessment was, how their night went, how they were the day prior. And, you know, he's stimulating their, their knowledge. He's trying to make them figure out if they should extubate this patient without telling them that, that they should or not. He's trying to ask these certain questions to spark their knowledge and, and interest into understand the, the background and like the pathophysiology, you could say, of what criteria has to be met to extubate. It's not just like a physician telling these, these uh, residents saying, hey, it's a good time to, to extubate. He's, he's asking them if, if, if it's a good time. And it's really cool to see. And it's very interesting. And, and then like, it's easier for them to talk to us nurses too, because they're, they don't have the full knowledge as the intensivists do. So it's a lot easier to talk to residents sometimes than it is to intensivists because like I said before, usually intensivists or physicians come in, do their work and come out. Usually residents are going to be asking a few questions. Hey, how did, how did he do when we did this? How was he with you overnight? Um, and it's just, I like having students and it's, it's cool that they're always there. Yeah, you make a very good point. And then also bringing up the point that they're 24 hours. So this has a great benefit when you're working night shift, for example, because when you call an RRT, there's someone is going to come. You're not just paging a doctor or attending hospitals through the phone. You actually have a resident that comes in 
looks at the patient, assesses. There's usually two of them. You have the like the first years, the second years, and you get to kind of troubleshoot the code at that time. Mm. Yes, and yeah. and, a, and a, another one is like you have exposure to cutting edge medical care research innovation. So when it comes to working at a teaching hospital, they're going to have more clinical trials. They're going to have more research. You're going to be, you're going to be able to see things that other hospitals don't offer. Like I could just imagine working at Mayo Clinic and seeing what they're currently testing or let's just say working at John Hopkins and maybe they're working at like a psilocybin uh, research study. So your patient might be having a microdose to see if we're treating, if the treatment of depression is getting better on this dose, for example. I think that'd be awesome to see a witness as a nurse. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Because a lot of times hospital vomit can get get very repetitive in the quality that, that we give. And so it's interesting to see what new innovations or what new treatment modalities that they're trying to come up with. And it's always cool to partake in those. Um, I don't think I have partake. I think we partook, I think I part, partook, partook, I think is the correct word, partook in one where our, my prior hospital, they were changing up like the material that they use for surgery. It didn't directly af- affect me or how, I, how we provided care, but it affected like the big research study, which was, was one material better than another material in certain procedures. So even though I physically didn't really partake in the research study, it was just interesting to, to see that, hey, they're actually testing these different materials on, on, this, on this product and how it affects patient outcomes. So it's always cool to see. And I'm not sure what happened with it. I think we just stuck with, stuck with, the, with the old old material. But it's always interesting to see how they're trying to re-engineer or introduce different concepts. And we're basically there testing it out, see if it works, if it doesn't. Because especially when it comes to, comes to surgery, if they're trying out new like surgical methods or new products, the surgery might be a little bit different. But the nursing care has to be the same. It's just the biggest difference is how the patient is going to react to that new procedure or, or that new thing, new, new device. I know when we're in, I think it's Pasadena, where one physician was, was saying, because we had a patient that was a younger guy, I think it was like 27, 28, and he needed a pacemaker. He had some kind of defect in his heart during, during his childhood years, and he needed a pacemaker. But they didn't do a regular pacemaker where they would like cut you and then you know, put the pacemaker in, they did it uh, through his veins. So it's like a really tiny, tiny pacemaker that oh. doesn't require him getting cut open or anything. And that's, that's, it's not it's not new, but it's the first time I ever heard of something like that. It's supposed to be really small. Yeah, that's fascinating. And that's yeah. what's so cool about travel nursing. You have these different hospitals, different research. And one of them, like when it comes to research, when we worked at like Santa Monica is during COVID, uh, in 2020, like we we're testing remdesivir early on, convalescent plasma. There was even research studies that patients were, the families were signing up the patients for because they're usually intubated that didn't even have like a generic name. It was just mm-hmm. like a number because it was so low key where you would even know the drug name. So there was right. a lot of research going on. Yeah, but it's interesting how, how, that, how that's done because now a lot of people could see that and a lot of people partake in that because like you said, it's kind of like a lo- like lower key. It's not something that, that's like, just like widely announced, like, hey, we are doing a study on this many patients regarding this. It's it's done in like a low-key sense because I feel like not that they don't want to inform us, it's just like a study, you know? Of course. This is how, course, yeah. how biz, business is done. You have to you have to protect the the product before it hits the, you know, 
hit the market in a way. Right. And same same thing. Like I feel like there's that's another pro is greater job satisfaction as a nurse because you're going to be on this cutting edge research. For example, in my previous hospital hospital in Chicago, you know, the standard of most hospitals treating sepsis, you do the bolus per kg, you know, maps under 65, you start them on pressers. Well, there was a uh, physician assistant with a resident or whatever they're discussing. And he was working on a research paper that's testing vitamin C therapy to be given for sepsis because it's going to affect the catecholines, which mm. might require less pressers for your patients. Mm -hmm. Like that's interesting. And it's nice because if you're giving vitamin C for these patients, you th you're like, okay, this, this thesis makes sense. And I love to be part of this. Mm -hmm. So not only is it creating, you know, research for patients and for the future of medicine, it's also creating job satisfaction in the sense where you're happy that you're partaking in this. Right. And something new. And that's, what's cool about travel nursing is you bring that knowledge to another hospital. And like, they're like, you tell them about what you did in one hospital. And they're like, really, it's so interesting because we don't do that here. Or they never heard about it. And, you know, that sparks a physician's interest. They might do some research on it regarding how, how it's done and why it's done. And they might implement it at, at their facility. That's what's really cool about it. And then it's just like, we just have different ways of doing things. And we just share knowledge and share research and help each other out in like a national scale. Yeah. And you make a good example because, for example... In, in this facility that we work at currently as travel nurses, they are just going to launch a CRT program. They're supposed to start it. They halted because of COVID. Now they're going to reintroduce it. And unfortunately, we're leaving in the next few weeks. But if we were to stay there long term, imagine that we would be the resources for these new nurses that never experienced CRT. And we worked at a previous hospital that had CRT that had a COVID and we're doing all these things. Now as a traveler, you have that knowledge and you get to teach you get to be a resource, not only for nurses, but also maybe residents because they don't know how to do things or they might be not aware that, hey, let's just maybe keep the CRT machine net even and et cetera. And mm -hmm. that's exciting for me. Yeah, that'd be cool. We should probably definitely let them reach out to them and let them know that if they need help with CRTs, we, we're open to a contract in the future. Not necessarily teaching people, but just being there as, as like a resource. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because as travel nurses, they're not going to allow us to teach people, right? We have, we have to be staff because a bunch of legal issues with that. But I'm down to come in and be like a, like a resource to, to, to them while they learn. That'll be very interesting. Exactly. And another perk at a, at a teaching hospital is you're going to have this rich experience of different um, residency programs. For example, there's a residency program for physicians, but there's also a residency program for nurses. So when we were at working a few days ago, we actually had a nursing student, which was technically acting as a certified nurse assistant. Later in my shift, I found out she was actually a, you know, nurse assistant working there, which was mm. cool because I totally could have had her like flush an IV and I could have looked at it and I could have helped her do more things. And that's what's mm. so dope is like now you're offering help to residents and also to younger nurses. And that's exciting because not only am I helping them through the podcast, I'm actually helping them hands-on. And that helps me understand a little bit more how nursing students are and engage my audience while we're podcasting, for example. Right, right. Yeah, another pro for working at a teaching hospital is probably going to be the recognition because these teaching hospitals are very well known. Everybody hears about them, especially in, in the medical field. You know, that's just how the community, community works. So they'll know if you worked at UCLA, if you put down your resume or, or Stanford or, you know, some of those, those John Hopkins, those kind of hospitals, and you get that on your resume, that just makes you 
makes you look very well qualified because if you were a nurse at those hospitals for four or five years, now you might not want to move on. Well, guess what? You already earned some kind of respect because you went to those kind of hospitals because they're known for their research. They're, they're known for their quality of care. And it's like a social status almost. That's why a lot of people like to work at the, the hospital that I used to work at in Chicago because it's, it's pretty well known. And if you're trying to get into a specific field of nursing, these hiring hospitals are going to give you a little bit of benefit. Even if you work there for like a year, even, even let's say like you're trying to get an ICU position somewhere and your hospital doesn't have anything open and you work at med surge, just saying that I've worked at the top, one of the top five hospitals in the United States, med surge, that's going to get you more eyeballs on you. And you're going to be more likely to get hired for like an ICU position with orientation at a, like a smaller hospital or something that's not well as known. You, you basically have in your resume, it's already like, um, like you already have a good value in a resume. Just that, that's, just that name basically can yeah. seal the deal for you. It's like a chip on your shoulder. And you bring a very good point because, for example, when we did our first travel nursing contract uh, to Oakland, this was the problem. You worked at a larger hospital than I did. I think it was like a 600-bed hospital versus a 200-something-bed hospital. So that hospital, when we're applying, that was the issue where I have more ICU experience, but they didn't care so much about the experience where you had a larger hospital. It was harder for me to get in for that specific position. So. That's a perfect example that, hey, yeah, you have more bragging rights if you work at Stanford or X, Y, and Z hospital because it's a teaching hospital and has, you know, all that. Right. That's how life works with everything. You know, everyone always knows or recognizes those higher tier companies or in this case, the higher tier hospitals, you could say. Because just be, But the thing is, just because you've worked at one of those doesn't mean you're a better nurse at somebody that hasn't worked there. But just... It's just one way you could differentiate yourself and what gets you hired is not the similarities that you have between between your peers or your coworkers or people that are applying. It's the differences that, that make you shine out. So someone so small can make you, you know, shine that much, which kind of exactly. sucks because not everybody obviously going to have the chance to work in those kind of hospitals for those, for those kind of companies and in those units. But if you have the opportunity to just, just at least try it, just at least try it. Like we listed a bunch of pros. There's a lot of pros about it because you are teaching hospitals. You can gain a lot of knowledge because a lot of times they're working on changing something. And if you want to be part of that change, this is where you're going to go. You're not going to go to a smaller hospital where they just go by the standards and whatever standards they implement is going to be brought to the hospital. If you want to be a part of the change and maybe try something out, do some, something that's different, then definitely teaching hospitals is going to be, be the, the way to go. I agree with you, man. So yeah. let's go over some cons now when it comes to working at a teaching hospital. And this is directly from a nursing perspective. So one of the first cons that I noticed it on uh, working night shift is there's MDs and residents 24 hours during the day. So there's going to be orders being put in. For, for example, your analysis at 2 a.m. that you're going to have to go collect because a resident was talking about it and they just put in. So you have to be more hyper vigilant and double check your new orders that are coming in. Mm. Especially on nights with the teaching hospitals, there's always coverage. Someone's on night on certain units. If you're not in like a teaching hospital, there's not always going to be coverage. So you might not always get any kind of extra orders during the nighttime. Because when we were in or travelers in, in LA, we had a full night coverage. So you would see physicians put in orders at like 12 o'clock at night, at like two o'clock at night, three o'clock at night. Someone that, that could be held off to the morning, but just because they're there, they're putting it in. So it does tend to be a little bit busier, which is kind of a, like a negative, you could say, but it's, it's still, it's still good quality of care. It's still, 
you know, not the worst thing in the world. Exactly. Well, another, yeah. Another, another con I could say to being in a teaching hospital is, is things can change a lot and you might not always agree with the, with the way things are being implemented, but somebody just has to follow the rules. You know, you, we all have our opinions, our, our, our own hypothesis on how a change in nursing care is going to be. And we might not always agree with the change going to be implemented or the change they're trying to research. And even though you might, your views might be against it, you still got to do it, right? That's the point of the research. It's got to, it's either going to be a benefit to the patient or, or a negative. Obviously in healthcare, we go into the research studies with a sense of, Hey, we're trying to improve, right? But it doesn't always work out that way. One study might show an improvement and guess what? The next 30 studies might show a negative. So guess what? We're not going to do it anymore. That's just kind of trial and error. We want to benefit and help as much patients as you can, but it is research. It's something new and it doesn't always work out the way we want to plan. Agreed. Agreed. For example, I had a patient that was supposed to get transferred to UCLA for pulmonary hypertension. You know, our hospital didn't have the state of the art research that would transfer a patient out there. And another kind of when it comes to working with at a teaching hospital is sometimes when it comes to tests and diagnostics, you might have too much or too little. So too much could be, I was down in MRI and and a a MRI tech said, yeah, in this hospital, we scan everybody. So because it's a teaching hospital, we do a CT scan on everything. Sometimes they crack the joke like, oh, might as well CT scan the head and the brain. I might as well get the chest right away. And there was one time where I called the resident because she didn't uh, did an MRI of the C-spine, but she already did the thoracic and the lumbar. So we're just like, you know what, Matt, call the resident, add it on because tomorrow they're going to add it on and we're going to have to come back down here. Mm-hmm. So, so you just have to be vigilant and talk to other people and see what the best plan of action is. Or in another case, you might be ordering two less, which is an example of, let's just say potassium is 2.9. The, the physician only wants to give 40 but in most cases, you would normally give 80 and just check, you know. So now you're going to be ordering too much where you're going to order 20 potassium, check a lab test, order another 20, check again. Instead of just giving the potassium, checking the lab and avoiding all that. And essentially, that's spending more money in healthcare and billing the patient. Right. That's, that's definitely definitely a con, overusing resources. But the thing is, they're trying to learn. So I understand why. But it is ultimately costing the, the patient a hospital more money. But these are students, so they they need as much information as, as they can to make a decision. Because if intensivist or, or neurologist or anybody in, this, in the clinical field with four or five years experience is going to already have an idea of what the patient is going through based on their symptoms. They're not going to need as much labs, as much, as much scans, like you were saying. Whereas these residents where sometimes they're unsure. And plus, they're just coming out of school, especially the first year ones, and they're nervous. They don't want to make a mistake. So they are going to overtest. They are going to overscan, which then the cost falls back on our healthcare system or, or us or their insurance. But that's just the, the part of learning. It's part of learning. Same way when you insert a Foley, right? Sometimes it takes you a few tries. You don't always insert it the first time, especially if it's a female. It's hard to get it sometimes. And yeah, it might, you might have to try it three or four times. Compared to a, a seasoned nurse where she get it in at one time, but that's just part of learning. It is a little bit of waste of resources, but how, how else are you going to learn? You don't want to make a mistake. And then you're not going to be the one that's never put a folio in because you're scared or you want to waste hospital resources. Same way a physician don't want to make a mistake or they don't want to not catch something that, that's, that's evolving. And another con, now that we're talking about residents, is the con being that new year residents. So when you compare, let's say, a 
a nurse that has been in her unit for five, six, seven years, and then you bring in a resident that's fresh out of school first year, sometimes there's a little bit of some headbutting going on because I guarantee you that most of the time that seasoned nurse is going to know more on what to do and what's happening with the patient than that first year resident. Just because that nurse has dealt with this unit for that amount of time. They've been doing this for six years, seven years, eight years. They know exactly what to do. They know what's going on. They know the symptoms. They, they, they know it because they've been doing it their whole life. Compared to a physician that just started, a resident that just started there, that's getting her, her hands wet, her feet wet, and, and doing certain things and trying to learn by themselves. And the thing is, the headbutting usually occurs uh, during stubbornness because the physician, the resident has the ultimate, has the last say. They're the ones that are going to make the decisions. They're the ones that are going to put the orders in. And sometimes residents don't want to listen to a nurse, even though the nurse is right and trying to help and, you know, you know, prevent any kind of injury and just help facilitate care. But the resident being, being the resident and thinking that they're the smarter one because they went to medical school. So, and they should be the ones making decisions. They don't want to, they don't want to feel like they're being brought down or they're not as smart as a, as a nurse. It's, and that's where everybody begins. I feel like that also adds to the workplace drama. So I feel like sure. the nurses kind of gossip about, about the physicians, the residents, the new ones, because this is just them starting off. So they kind of always crack jokes at them. And I, you know, I don't like being part of the gossip, but sometimes it's funny to listen to because yeah, it's, it's an innocent physician that's, you know, that's, you know, doing these errors. And also part of the con is these residents are also cycling. So they're going to be with the nephrologist one time, then they're going to be with, you know, the pulmonologists the cardiovascular surgeons. So every th couple months, you're gonna have new uh, residents. You have to kind of teach them the things or orient them to where things are. Mm -hmm. And the cycle constantly repeats. Yeah, it's difficult, dude. It's, it's difficult because I could imagine if you were that, that physician, that resident, that let's say you're doing like a like a nephrology, you're on a, you're a nephrology, just say you finish one, now you're on nephrology, doing your clinicals and stuff. And you wanna, you've been in school for that long, you're gonna feel like you should be making all the calls because they went to school for longer than nurses and they don't want to feel dumb and humiliated because a nurse told them what to do and they were right. They didn't figure it out themselves. And that's kind of how, how, how I felt, especially when we're going to be in a new grad or where we finish four years, years of school and then we get tossed into the, the nursing field and you have all this theory in your head, this, this knowledge, and then you go into the workplace where it's more hands-on. I didn't ask a lot of questions because I always felt that I should know these things. And that, and that kind of sucks. So like a physician feels the same way, but even worse because they went to school for even longer. Yes. And, you know, yeah. And for the most part, the hospital and the healthcare field, we're, we're pretty, we're pretty cohesive. Of course, things happen sometimes. There's gossip that goes around sometimes, but for the most part, everyone's usually open and engaging in the conversation, especially like in this hospital that, that we're at, physicians ask questions all the time. The residents ask me all the time, what do you think? What, what about this? What about that? And I give my explanation and give my opinion. I'm not always right. And they don't always go off it. And sometimes they make their own decisions, but like, that's okay. Like we got to work together. Like you're a physician. I'm a nurse. This is work together. We have the same goal in mind. Get the patient out of here, out of the ICU. Yeah. You make, unless you make a, unless you're that, that one neurosurgeon that likes to keep his patients in a Q1 uh, neuro checks forever in the ICU. And you make a very good point. It's like cohesiveness. So even though we're explaining pros and cons, ultimately at the end of the day, when we're interacting with the residents and nurses, we all know that we're all in the same boat. We're all learning together. There's no one takes it personally for the most part, right? We're all sharing our opinions and teaching ourselves back and forth. For example, I, there was an intensivist 
asking like four or five residents a riddle question. Hey, who could ask this first for a million dollars? So I love the environment that it creates because I listen in to when they're rounding, I get to learn something. And these are critical questions that these MDs are asking. So yeah. I'm learning pathology and that's what I love. I love learning the disease process, for example, right? Another right. con, another kind which is funny is I've, I noticed my first code blue on day shift and I'm just like, whoa, a huge difference is there's a lot more people on days. There's a lot of these, you know, you have respiratory that's with two nurse, uh, two respiratory therapist students. You have a nursing student around. You have residents. When I saw my first code, there's like 20 people plus in that room. It was packed. Now imagine when a family member comes in because they're coming in the hallway seeing all this. It just, it was unorganized chaos in the best way mm. possible. So that's, yeah, that's one I, thing I was, that was a culture shock to me. I was there too. And I like walked in there and there were so many people there. There was like four residents, like two physicians, like like four or five nurses. I was like, what's going on? And I and I haven't seen that before because codes on, on nights, you have a few people there. Like yes. nurses, I feel like on nights, nurses instinctively know what to do and they don't pack the rooms. So I walked over, you know, e eager to help. And I walked over and I see all these people. I'm gonna say there's no point in me being here. There was like eight people in the room. That's that's chaos. That's, that's a lot of people in that room. You shouldn't have enough people in the room, but I understand that they want to learn, they want to be part of this, but it's just, it definitely was overwhelming. This would be, yeah, I, I asked like two questions. And I'm like, if you guys need anything, I'll be here for a few minutes. There's a yell out if you guys need me to bring anything and then I'm going to leave. Because there's so many people there. I was like, this is, and, and I'm not sure how the, how the code went, but usually when there's a lot of people in a room during a code, it doesn't always, it's not always the best code because there's, there seems to always be a lot of chiefs and not enough Indians, especially if you have a lot of residents. Yeah, people talking over each other, trying to, everyone's trying to, to, to be right, trying to prove a point, trying to take charge because they want to, you know, look good in front of like the senior resident or, or the physician. But it's just, more people, if a lot of people talk during the code, it, shit doesn't get done. Yeah, you make a very good point. And we should make a podcast episode about this, how to run a code efficiently. So you're right. You don't know who's who, who's asking, who's pushing meds. One thing I liked about in LaGrange, what they implemented is name tags. So if there's a code blue on the crash cart, there's a few different colors and everybody has a special colorful badge with the role. There's somebody mm. that's running the code. There's the MD. There's somebody that's pushing the meds and there's like a recorder. So you're able to identify the person in the room. Who should you be t telling what? Because imagine, Im imagine if, you know, that specific situation that we're just talking about. Imagine you're the MD, you're in front of the head of the bed and you got like, three nurses on one side, four or five people on the other side. Now, if you have a unit that, uh, or a hospital doesn't wear colored scrubs to identify nursing students and therapists and all that, dude, it's chaos. I don't know who to tell to do what, literally. Yeah, it gets messy. It gets messy real quick, man. And that, and that goes into another one, which is another con. You just have to be more hyper-vigilant of orders. Also, the accuracy of them and use critical thinking. And one great example is a resident put in stool softeners, right? There wasn't, I, had, I asked for a stool softener because there wasn't done any. So instead of, instead of putting these three orders PRN, she put them all scheduled for like, let's just say 3 p.m. So I'm yeah. going to give, I'm going to give Senna, which is a stool softener. I'm going to give Miralax. And then it was a magnesium citrate ordered. <laughs> if I gave all three of those patients, uh, that patient, those three meds, that would have been literally a shitstorm. 
So <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah, no pun intended, literally. So instead of what I did is I instead of calling her, and I did call her and explain it to her, but before I did that, I already switched the orders and put PRN because I knew those were her intentions. She just wasn't thinking. And then I had to, you know, page her and all that. So it's a little mm. bit of a process. It's tedious. Just be, like I said, vigilant and double check those orders. See if they actually make sense. Mm. Yeah, which rolls into the next con is that people tend to be younger in teaching hospitals. So the knowledge isn't always there. And the, the protocols aren't always followed from the beginning. It takes time for these residents, these nurses to, to learn how things are done especially putting in orders, right? Like you were saying, she put the orders wrong. Maybe she just did it too quick or she just didn't know how to do it. So she did it the way she, she knew how to do it, which was the incorrect and, and, you, and you fixed it. And one shitty thing about, about having a younger, younger staff, you could say is a turnover rate. You go going to see a higher turnover rate because teaching hospitals, usually people go to teaching hospitals, stay there for a few years, and then they go somewhere else where they could be a senior in something or they go to a more comfortable environment where it's not as acute because maybe they don't want to do, maybe they don't want to work in teaching hospital where it's super fast paced. Maybe people want to work somewhere where it's, where it's a little bit calmer, still, you know, still get the job satisfaction, but, but not as intense. So people like, like to leave, especially like we we're saying in the beginning of the episode, you had that in your resume, the hospital um, and, and those people under you, and that makes you more marketable. And in teaching hospital, a lot of competition goes on over there. So it's going to be a lot harder for you to get that prestige position that, that you want compared to going to like a community hospital, local hospital with those, with that already background working from that big hospital. Yeah, I would say this poses a larger issue for charge nurses. So if you mm -hmm. have this younger teaching hospital, one thing I noticed working on days is they have a hard time pairing the patients properly. They're like, well, especially on night shift, they're, there's a brand new staff on there. They're, they're trying to figure out who to pair with what patient. Sometimes it could be a v, VIP patient, meaning it's a patient from like a doctor that already works there. You want to have the best paired nurse with the best personality. You want the greatest patient satisfaction there. So yes, it, um, especially as a traveler, you're, you're always more prone to be in these hospitals because this is where we fill the gaps and mm -hmm. we see this. So like, you know, to like kind of wrap this up and put a perspective behind it is teaching hospitals are beautiful, right? Just like we say, you have to be more vigilant about what we're seeing, what we're experiencing, be, be, be on top of your game as a nurse, but also mm -hmm. enjoy the process of learning because you're going to see so many like high-end procedures, maybe different research studies and just seeing these bright, bright students, whether it's the nursing mm -hmm. students and residents being created and being molded for the future of our healthcare system. Yeah. Yeah. And we provide some cons, man. The cons, I feel like personally, now that we did this episode, I feel if someone were to ask me, how do I feel about teaching hospitals? I feel like the pros overweigh the cons. Because when I was, when we were scripting this, I was kind of on like the, the con side, but now that we talked about it, I had a conversation about it. I think it's probably more beneficial. It's if you beautiful. could handle, yeah, it's beautiful. If you could handle a little bit more stress and a little bit, bit more work you, you could say teaching hospitals are a wonderful wonderful environment for growth and just communication and just learning the tricks of the trade and it's awesome it does have its cons of course the biggest cons cons to me would be the whole turnover rate and the first year residents those are going to be the major major cons i feel like because they're learning while you're learning and it's just a step-by-step -step thing it's a day-by-day -day thing you can't learn medical care overnight you can't learn nursing overnight and it just takes time 
for a way to, to grow, especially if you're on a specialized unit. It takes a lot of time, time for growth and establishing a comfortable environment because physicians have to be resident. Res, it's not, residency isn't like a one-year thing. It takes years. So they're going to be, their next four years of their life or three years of their life is going to be all about learning clinicals. Like how we had a clinicals in nursing school, well, these are their clinicals, but they have it for, for years. So you got to take that into perspective too, because I know a lot of nurses get upset and get frustrated with these new residents. And if, if you are one of those, try not to, because they're still in their learning phase. Yeah, I was just going to say, so when you take on the perspective you're saying, that's going to create a positive workplace satisfaction because you know they're in this process i feel like because of like the older nurses and they don't like that every single year there's residents you get sucked into that gossip that workplace drama crap where oh the 30-year residents are upset on the first year residents because they think they know everything and this nurse is upset about this because this resident did that and now it spreads like wildfire so now you're sucked into that bullshit so if you yeah. if you take a step back about that just know you're all there learning together that that's that's gold and that's what you need to, to have a great time at work with being at a teaching hospital all right and communicate and communicate yes. no one's gonna know you're frustrated no one's going to know a resident made you angry or, or upset if you don't if you don't tell them if if a resident isn't doing something properly don't ignore it tell them because maybe they don't know yeah you're gonna have some people that are going to take it negatively and be like oh i'm a resident you're a nurse don't tell them what to do they're going to but majority of the time if you correct them or tell them how to do things properly in like a nice, genuine manner, they're going to thank you for it and they're going to appreciate it because there's, there's different ways. I could, I could help you. I could tell you how to do something, but I could, but I could tell you in two ways. I could be a dick about it, depending on, on the way I use my voice, or I could be genuine and sincere and actually explain to you why, why it's done in a certain way. And that always goes a lot further than just straight up telling them in like an angry manner or a frustrated manner because you're, you're in a rush. But just communicate. Just communicate. And if you don't like where you're at, you could always leave and change. I agree, man. We, probably I, I know, that. We, should, we should, man. Yeah. Both both put the we hit the nail with the hammer there. Or whatever the <laughs> freaking fancy term is there. <laughs> All right, boys and girls. Hope you appreciated this episode. If you guys like what we talk about and you find value in this, please share it with the people close to you. That's how we grow. And that's how we get motivated to keep on producing this high quality content. Have a great day. See you guys on the next episode. See you guys. Peace. Peace out.